Vincent Sabonis two-man game inside. Domas, dominant, dynamite inside on that one. Not afraid, and he got some dog in. And the steal! They can tie it with a three! Murray, yes! A Murray miracle in the desert! Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today we got Bryant West joining the show that time of year draft season what's going on brian how you doing man hey we're nine days away it's uh we're getting there for for a draft that we just have absolutely no idea what the kings are going to do uh as we get closer and closer it just feels more and more like we have absolutely no idea what the kings are going to do i have no clue i also have grown to feel comfortable with a lot of different options though i feel like i I think that i'm gonna end up pretty easily talking myself into whatever direction they like to go and I think what we wanted to do today is just sort of up uh, layout and explain some of these five potential upside swings that they could look at at pick 24 and, and some of these will be applicable to their early second round pick um, as well I think that one's 38 if I'm remembering that correctly yep and Some of those, I guess, could be applicable there, some of these guys. But for the most part, talking about 24 and potential upside swings. And as we touched on the last time we talked, um, obviously, this front office doesn't have a history of going after upside swings. But those were lottery picks and pick 24 could be totally different. Um, And the five guys we're going to go through today are Bilal Koulibaly from Metropolitan's 92, played with Victor Wiminyama. CD Sissoko, I'm saying that right, Brian. You had a great tweet by the way, of uh, just failing to say his name all the time, and I struggle with the same. But did I say that correctly? <laughs> yes, that it's C.D. Sissoko. Okay. I've watched enough of the G League now to be like, okay, they're all saying it the same. I must not be wrong. And he's French as well, right? Yes. Okay. Um, so we got two Frenchmen here, and then we got Max Lewis, Maxwell Lewis, uh, Pepperdine. We got Derek Whitehead from Duke and Julian Phillips from Tennessee all on the schedule today. Um. I said we were going to start with Koulibaly, but I guess I don't really care. Do you have a preference with where we start? No, let's let's start with Koulibaly because uh, you had a you had a good piece out today uh, on the Kings Herald, which uh, everybody should go read as soon as you can. Um, I'll admit he's a guy I'm slightly behind on. Um, you've obviously watched much more of tape than I have uh, because when I saw I, I, I messaged you this when I saw his U twenty one numbers in your profile, I was just blown away because they weren't anything close to what I've been used to seeing uh, repeated over and over on Tankathon and draft boards. So um, I don't, I don't know what level of stats you want to give for, for him since he's for him, they are kind of all over the place depending on what league you look at. And it's honestly really hard to even like fully verify all of these numbers. I ended up going with pro ballers, which is kind of what I leaned on and ended up trusting here um, and, and kind of asking people around. But, you know, a lot of responses were like, oh, I'm not even really that focused on numbers right now and, and kind of just watching the film. And it's like, oh, that's great. But for my piece, I would like some numbers. And the 16 games yeah. I ended up getting in that under 21 league is 21.9 points, 6.4 rebounds, two and a half assists. And 2.6 steals, 1.2 blocks on Which 32 minutes a night. Insane. The stocks are crazy. 53% from the field, 32.4% from three on 4.3 attempts per game, and 76.6% from the free throw line on 6.7 attempts per game. And I don't know 
um, it to what extent. But I do feel like the under 21 games that he played are probably a closer representation of what the college level basketball is than when he was playing with the main Metro 92 roster, because that is playing EuroLeague teams. You know, AS Monaco that just beat Sasha Vezenkov in the EuroLeague championship. So I, I think his under 21 numbers are more of a better comparison when you're looking at some of these other guys' college numbers. Yeah, and that makes sense, especially from a uh, a volume standpoint. Like, if you're looking at just his EuroLeague, um, his time with Metro 29, uh, with Metro 29's main team, it, the volume... 90, 92. 92. Did I say 93? That's uh, 29. Close enough. 29. Oh, I am numerically <laughs> dyslexic, I guess. Um, it You know, just the volume, the opportunity, you, you get to see him with many, many more opportunities. Um, I guess, you know, you just talk about his intersection of length, quickness, verticality, and size. I guess it's probably the best of the guys we're going to talk about today. Um, and I appreciate, yeah. Uh, I appreciate that more so than many prospects in the Kings range, even if the volume isn't there, I think the role that he played for Metro 92 is very similar to how a future NBA team might ask him to play early in his career, uh, assuming he comes over immediately, which I guess is an sure thing. But, you know, play off the ball for the most part, uh, make your way with good cuts, finish at the rim, try and splice the floor as much as he can, and then just lock in on defense and get rebounds. Um, it's nothing super complex, but it's probably a good thing for an 18-year-old. Am I off base with that expectation for his early career? No, I definitely think the same. I, I mean, I think that to your point, you've sort of gotten a peek into what he would look like year one in the NBA. And I don't think anybody, when you're talking about a project guy that turns 18 at the end of next month, and I haven't compared to other guys in the draft, but he's got to be right there for, for youngest in this, in this draft. Um, you don't expect like great production year one. So I think that what he was already showing with Metro 92 and specifically in their semifinals against, I'm probably butchering this name, but like Asvel, A-S-V-E-L. Um, I swear I felt like all of my clips that I posted were against that team, but he played the under 21 <laughs> team. He played the adult team. He played them in the playoffs. Um, it felt like every clip was against that team, but he just had a phenomenal series um, against them. That really is when sort of all this, lottery conversation has excelled even more it started before that um, but you just look at it like to me he he looks as lengthy and not in an awkward way but just the limbs are really long right the legs are really long the arms are really long it looks like scotty barnes to me um you yeah. obviously does not have that same strength i but i think that it's just when you see a player like that with that sort of length it really stands out and he's got the fluidity to go with it his top end speed is probably right up there in this draft I, I don't the acceleration is is decent as well but when he's fully top speed with those long strides I think he's right up there with best in the class he's got um, that great length and that's not a confirmed wingspan but that's the reported one that everybody has been rolling with is that seven three um, mm -hmm. and it sure as hell looks like he has an extremely long wingspan but he, he uses it well around the rim. Um, I, I think that he was a pretty solid finisher. Again, that 53% from the field during his time with the under 21. And that was 57.5% on twos. And 
And you can definitely see the flashes of some bits of self-creation in there in the under 21 where he's willing to put the ball on the floor. Obviously, you're putting up 20 plus points a game. You're able to do that a little bit, but he's not typically one like initiating the offense. It's more so playing off ball, making quick decisions um, and, and finishing plays. And that definitely was emphasized even more at the the main club level alongside Wemby and the other guys there and just fully committing to defense where this guy can guard a lot of positions. Um, there's definitely some strength that is going to need to be added, but with I say this definitely not being a professional in this aspect or, or far from it, but it just looks like a guy to me that I would expect to put on a decent amount of weight um, with the build that he has. And I think that defensive versatility, the will to compete, and, and he's clearly got IQ on both ends. Like This is a guy, I, I absolutely see where the lottery hype is sort of coming from recently. Mm-hmm. I bet teams just absolutely hated playing Metro 92 because, like, oh god, you've got Bilal's level of crazy length and, and good defensive instincts, and then you've just got <laughs> you've just got the most game breaking uh, prospect of all time in terms of women Yama, uh, his game breaking length and defensive instincts. I'm sure just teams hated playing them. Um, his range on defense in the games I've seen and in the clips I've seen, it, it looks to be really impressive for his age and size, considering how much older and stronger some of the guys he's played against. Um, and, you know, those stock numbers in, in the U21 games and, and when you factor in, uh, the, when he's with the main club, you know, the, the, those are all pretty impressive. Um, but at his size and Given the difference between NBA speed and, and any other league speed, that's not a, a, a hit on Euroleague, but it's you know, they're not comparable in terms of speed, athleticism, the flow of the game. Are we talking about a guy who could be a good defender immediately, or is this much more down the road, especially if that strength addition to, is going to take some time? I mean, I think there's definitely going to be growing pains, but I think he's a guy that you can give a bench role defensively like you know the way that Kessler Edwards was playing this year you know I I don't think that you're asking a lot right away but um, if I hadn't seen him play with the main club and be able to make a defensive impact and again their semifinal series like he locks up for the last possession of a one possession game and gets a stop and I think seeing him do that at the main club does make me believe he can have a role defensively to start and then, you know, maybe cutting off ball a bit and playing in transition, I think he's going to be fine offensively because I cannot overstate how much his athleticism is is just ridiculous. The fluidity, the bounce, the size, the length, the top speed is sort of all there. Um, the big question for sure is, well, not only how is he going to adjust to sort of, like you said, NBA speed, um, but also just having other guys around him that are also ridiculously athletic and and have length, you know, he doesn't quite have to deal with that the same extent currently with that main club. But then the three point shooting is the other obvious one here. Um, third, that 32.4% on 4.3 with the under 21 is, is okay. And he shot free throws at an all right rate there as well. Um, with only getting up 1.1 per game in the main squad, he shot 45.2%, but that's an extremely small sample size. Like if you, go with another small sample size, the nine playoff games they've played up to this point, and they still have more to play. Um, he shot about 2.3 a game 
and he's only going in at a 23.8% rate. So there's still a lot of questions there. And that's actually going to be a theme with, I think, three different guys that we end up covering today. And part of just, yep. you know, the upside swings that we tend to love have, have shooting questions. But I think that's the, that's where like a potential bust lies. Right. And I, I don't, I don't, I very much believe in Koulibaly, but that's where the big question mark is. And then I think the big swing skill when it comes to if he could be a star or not is his handle where in the, in the U 21, I think he looked really, comfortable trying things out there's a crossover that's intriguing like there's flashes where you really really see it um but in the main club he wasn't really asked to do that as much and i think there were a lot of moments where he you know was just kind of sloppy with it and i think there's a lot that would need to be cleaned up there if we're ever talking about sort of fringe star upside here yeah he's gonna really have to prove it with the with the ball in his hands both you know creating off the bounce and uh, shooting off the bounce because uh, in the clips I've watched that his his catch and shoot looks relatively smooth, but his off the dribble shot it it's it's not good. Um, so I I really do wonder what level of shooting question marks we're talking about here because uh, it's a recurring theme here. But with I I don't think it's a, a Spoiler here to say that, you know, Bilal is being talked about going much higher than these other guys that we're talking about. And it's definitely a hesitation when you're talking about taking a, a questionable shooter at the end of the lottery as opposed to taking a questionable shooter in the 20s. Um, and, and that's fairly concerning. But also, he's one of the youngest guys in the draft, uh, any, any NBA team will always, always believe that they can fix a shooting prospect. So um, the upside's clearly there in terms of uh, an elite role player. But like you said, it, he has to prove it with the ball in his hands. I do love that um, in your collection of clips about his ball handling, the first one was C.D. Uh, Sissoko picking his pocket. Yes. <laughs> I absolutely love that. It's definitely our perfect segue into C.D. But before we, we fully get there, um, I just want to close with each one of these guys, maybe talking about their potential fit with Sacramento. Again, I'd be shocked if Koulibaly's there. Um, but from what I've seen, like, I, I just don't know how I could ever pass it up at 24. And there is the thought that I, I've seen some people throw out the idea that like, maybe he could choose to stay or maybe not he chooses to stay, but the NBA team that drafts him could choose that it's best for him to stay with Metro 92 for one more year and maybe get to be the main guy when women yeah. is off in San Antonio. Um, or you could bring him into your own system and maybe give him that little Kessler Edwards ish role, um, play him in the G league a little bit if you feel like that's what's best. So you, you do sort of have some options there, but if he's there at 24, like I, I just don't know how you could not from that but that's that's my perspective um yeah what, what do you feel about that i think so if if he's there he's almost certainly the the best prospect available um and i'd want to bring him over immediately like i don't see the the necessary value in in how he's played this year in in why why would you want him to be the guy in another system what offensive growth is that going to bring as opposed to just bringing him up in your own system off your bench playing nba speed fringe minutes and playing in the g league i i, I think teams should always prefer unless there's like a, a roster 
numbers or, or, you know, we, we don't have space for this guy right now. Unless that's the case, then I can see the reason. But I, in terms of development, you just bring him over. Uh, but like you said, I, I don't expect him to last that long. Uh, I think I, unlike some other guys, I think that the, the smoke here is real. I think that he'll probably go either end of the lottery or, or well into the teens. I think the same. And as we go, we'll sort of rank all five of these guys. Um, but since Bilal's our first, obviously no one to compare him to. And we can just move to the first player that did get that steal on him in a little fast break dunk, showing off his own athleticism on Koulibaly when Metro 92 played the Ignite. And that is CD Sissoko, who at the combine measured in at six, five and a half without shoes with a six, nine and three quarters wingspan. He is going to be 19 years old on the date of the draft. Um, is born in the mid-early 2004. It's crazy to me, by the way, writing down the dates that these guys are born and have to be born. Um, it makes you feel old. How do you? Yeah, think I which feel? says a lot, right? Like, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy to me. But I will um, I will never forget the first prospect who was younger than me was Kevin Durant. Mm, the and very first one. Feel, huh? Yeah, the, the yeah. first one who I was aware of, <laughs> and I, that made me feel old as hell. People obviously give me a hard time for my previous uh, Celtics feelings, but I always felt more of a uh, pull towards Jalen and Jason because they are like right around my age. Uh-huh. And there will only ever be one group of guys that are right around my age. So anyways, um, CD Sissoko, who, which by the way, real quick, when you hear like six, five and a half without shoes, which is obviously a call mine measurement, like in-game height with shoes on, what do you typically think that number is more like? Six, seven, okay. always, always just add an inch, inch and a half. Okay. Um, and, and regardless, he's going to play bigger than he, than yeah. his height might indicate because man, is that guy for a 19 year old? He is thick. He is strong. Um, you know, with, with some guys who aren't primary initiators or, or have the ball in their hands a ton, it takes time for them to like, you sit down and watch their film. It, they, they take a minute to kind of like show you who they are. This dude just pops off the tape as much as any prospect that I've watched in this class. Like he's just his physicality, his intensity, his ambition on both ends of the court. Uh, he's a wrecking ball and, and he did, does his damnedest to dictate physicality in a league of grown men who, who are fighting for their NBA dreams. Uh, he's got big time question marks, specifically his jump shot. There's that recurring theme there, but his, his defense, his passing skills, his physical tools, he's, he's one of my favorite sleepers in this draft class for those reasons. He's definitely got the intrigue and for CD, there's a lot of positives, but let's just start with that three point shooting. Um, and the numbers I saw, 37.8% on catch-and-shoot threes, obviously super intriguing, but his overall three-point number, uh, 30.4% on 3.6 a game. And then the other sort of red flag, I guess you would say, is 64.5% on free throws. Yeah. Um, and that's something we're going to get to later with like Julian Phillips is a guy that struggles from three but has a really encouraging th- uh, free throw percentage, and usually I- that correlates pretty well um th- what, there's one thing i want to note about free throws when it comes to g league prospects oh, and that's I, right and i've never really sat down or like noodled this in my head long enough to to actually think about what the implications are but 
you know, uh, G League rules mean players only get one shooting attempt that's yeah. worth all the potential points. So there's no like, okay, you miss the first, but you get rhythm for the second or something. Um, and I don't really know if that stands up to actual logic or, or how players play, but there is that to note, like 64.5% isn't the normal number. Um, and only 2.7 attempts per game means he's getting to the line. Uh, oh man, I don't have that number in front of me. How many times he actually gets to the line per game? Um, but it's definitely typically, a, yeah, a NBA number would thing be to like think 5.2 about. there. Yeah. Which, which makes much more sense if you stop to think about it. Cause like how, how physical he plays, uh, right. looks like 2.3 attempts per game, which means he's getting to the line like two, three times a game, which means that normally he'd be getting five to six free throws. Um, and 64.5% isn't great, but it, it, it's better than it was a year ago. And that's the optimism that I hear from people who like kind of watched his take back to the previous year when he played, uh, in the, uh, the LEB Oro Spanish league. Um, he shot in 24.8% from deep in that final year. And for a lot of this year, he was shooting much better than he ended up, but then had just in them abysmal March where he shot, according to the G League site, he shot just 11.5% from three in March. Um, and some of that could be, uh, you know, conditioning. It was definitely more games than he may have been used to at that point. But until he proves otherwise, he should be considered a questionable shooter as much or if not more than Bilal. 23.3% um, on off the dribble shots per synergy. And, you know, those numbers aren't great, especially for a Kings team that understandably may not want to make a gamble and sacrifice facing next to De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis in any way, shape or form. That number off the dribble is not great, but that 37.8% on catch and shoots is definitely encouraging if you're viewing him as a little bit more of a role player. And, and maybe that's where some of the upside lies and hence him being one of these upside swings that we're talking about. Um, but let, wanna, let's get to every. I, I want to know, I, I, I couldn't check this myself because uh, the synergy I have doesn't show me G league stats. I didn't even know until today that synergy had G league stats, but uh, a Twitter guy I was debating Sissoko with, uh, he showed me synergy numbers that showed he was just 33.3% on catch and shoot shots. Oh, um, so there's definitely, cause I've seen numbers all over the place. I saw 34%. I saw the 38% number. Um, which is what I was hoping it was. So it's questionable and I can't n nail down an exact number. So let's just say mm -hmm. his catch and shoot numbers are somewhere between uh, promising and not great. Yeah, that's right. I have struggled with G League numbers throughout the year. So that definitely makes sense. Yes. They don't, in, in as much as any other league, they, they split their stats up across the regular season, the showcase and the postseason. Um, so it, it's kind of hard to find. Which doesn't even, yeah, Showcase is just another season in itself. I don't understand, but whatever. Um, yeah. Let's get to his, well, do you want to stick on the rest of his offensive game or to move to his defense? Yeah. Where do you want to? Let, let's stick on the rest of his offensive game because there's there's some clear upsides and, and some qu still question marks. Uh, the question mark is, is, yeah, go ahead. Can I hint that I hope you don't mind me sharing? You sent me a message saying he's who Isaac Okoro should be. And I think <laughs> a lot of that has to do with the offensive game as well, the slashing, playmaking, like Igodala ish, right? 
Yeah, yeah, that was definitely the the upside that I was excited about with Isaac Okoro that has not borne out to be true in the NBA. Um, he needs to prove his ability to attack the basket in the half court. When you're talking about transition, like, man, he has the ball skills to go end-to-end. He goes really fast when he gets up to top speed. Uh, he does have a developing dribble drive game that can take defensives by surprise and he can just bull through defenders if they're not ready for him. Like it, it is impressive how many transition plays, how many transition dunks, how many transition layups he had playing against guys who are older than him and should be as strong as him. Um, but he's not the most explosive, immediate, like quick first step guys. And in the half court, that means that if he's starting on the perimeter, he can be much more easily contained when he doesn't have that runway to get up to top speed. Um, that said, the Ignite offense really did lack any semblance of floor spacing. Um, Scoot Henderson wasn't really being a catch-and-shoot guy. Leonard Miller wasn't really a catch-and-shoot guy. The only floor spacing they had was uh, the veteran guards in John Jenkins and former King Pujetter. Um, so NBA spacing should help him see more clear lanes and that might help his half court finishing a bit, especially if you're talking about a team like Sacramento that's got all the spacing in the world, but that's pretty much true for every prospect that we could talk about. Um, so I guess at the end of when we're talking about his driving, he shows some flashes of real craft around the rim and some, uh, my piece is going to have some, some spots where his handle looks relatively advanced for for a, a wing prospect but he just doesn't have the consistency in the half court to make me think that uh we can view him as a true on ball score yeah the half court finishing is definitely where a concern lies um but that handle is intriguing i mean you can see it in the open court for sure which makes you think that you know when he can kind of fine tune the handle and create that space a little bit better that maybe he will be able to figure out that finishing. He's obviously got great length and athleticism when it comes to getting up there. It's just about getting it to go down. Um, there's 3.6 assists to 1.9 turnovers per game, according to the G league website. Yeah. Um, and the, I don't really hate turnovers because he's willing to try things. Yeah. Oh yeah. I will always love to see young players, especially non guards who have that passing ambition because I always believe that it's easier to teach players restraint than it is to teach them that level of ambition. Um, he played point guard in the Spanish leagues before an apparent growth spurt. So that kind of explains how a guy who was third or fourth option on most plays had just an 18.9% usage rate, but ended up with 3.6 assists in 29 minutes a game and a 16.9% assist rate. Like those just pop off the stat sheet and he's got passing flair beyond most wings that you'll see in, in the draft in this range. Um, his process isn't always the smoothest. Like I talked about his functional handle, it's getting there, but like it, it sometimes when you watch him drive to the cup and then chuck a pass over his shoulder, like it's not pretty, but it ends up as a highlight. Um, I, I love his passing ability, and I honestly think that that, to me, more so than some of the other debatable shooters in this class, 
especially like Julian Phillips and to an extent, uh, Kulabali, like that passing ability makes it so the jump shot may not be the end all question thanks to that playmaking. Because if teams try and, you know, put their worst defenders on him or try to mismatch him with smaller guards, like he's either going to be able to play, make his way out of it, find open guys, run some sort of pick and roll, or he could probably just take mismatches to the basket. Um, and, and I think that's a, a skill that many guys with this level of questionable shooting just don't have. As long as one of that finishing at the rim in the half quarter, that three point shooting works out, then you're all right. Right. And then that playmaking can really make an impact in a game because if you're, if you're just a playmaker and not a finishing threat yourself, I think teams can sort of take that away. Yeah. Um, obviously it's very different, but you saw that to an extent with like Sabonis, right. And Sabonis obviously has plenty of offense to him. It was, I think just more of, um, it's a different story than Sissoko, but just to sort of but use it's that. A, as it's a example. scaling point. It's right. a scaling point. Um, yeah. And I, I think that we can, if you're all right with it, you're writing a piece on Sissoko right now. Um, so you're definitely the Sissoko expert between the two of us here. Um, you have anything else on his offense before we move on to the defense, which is where I really get excited. Yeah. Um, I'll say the last negative I have on him and this transitions from his offense to his defense is that he, his aggressiveness, which just, like I said, pops off the film is really a double edged sword for it. I think he's going to struggle a lot with fouls early in his career. Um, he overplays his hand on both ends of the court. His physicality absolutely can go too far. Um, but like we talked about with playmaking earlier, it's I, I will always prefer to see guys who are confident that they can, you know, make a great pass or defend with gusto than try to get a guy in there who's, you know, calm, cool, and collected and be like, no, come on, you got to lock in more on defense. Because when you're talking about like defensive instincts and, and positional versatility for, for CD, they are more than just hyperbole. His intersection of strength and speed, he guarded just a massive range of opponents for Ignite. Um, he, he plays up on guys. Uh, his length lets him swallow up smaller guards. He has the quickness and length and, 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 good feet to just stick with guards. Uh, he helps on the weak side. He's a little undersized for a, for a rim protection role, but that doesn't stop him from, from doing it anyway. Uh, and 1.6 steals and 1.4 blocks per 40 minutes. Like those are crazy numbers. And when he forces a turnover, he just, he can immediately push the pace. Um, so in, in as much as few rookies will ever be great defenders immediately in their career, I think that he has all the tools that I look for in both a potential switchable defender. And if the ceiling really hits, like I think that he could be a meaningful part of a really good defense. I think the same, the stock numbers that you mentioned definitely stand out. Um, there's intriguing things on ball as well, but there's definitely more like, I, I think discipline that needs to be instilled there, which is very typical for, a young player. Um, I think you could say the same about some of the off ball stuff. Like when you're going for stocks, you're going to end up getting a lot of fouls in there as well. Um, but to your point with the playmaking, I think applies on the defensive end as well. 
of you like somebody that's that's willing to try and then you sort of learn your limits and adjust from there. It's a probably easier process than um, trying to become somebody who is willing to test and sort of push their limits. So I think it's definitely intriguing. The off-ball defense is great. I think one of his biggest things, and you usually hear this as such a negative for guys, is that, oh, when they're off the ball on defense, they just fall asleep a lot. Like I, I think CD is very engaged off the oh, yeah. ball. He's a super smart player that you see in his playmaking that translates to the defense. But that paired with being super locked in and I think just always focusing on what his current assignment is defensively off the ball makes for him just having a great impact on that end. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, if you're, if anybody's looking to, you know, dive deeper into this game, um, I found, uh, a G League Ignite game against the Memphis Hustle and it's an outlier game for a shooting ability. Cause like, I th- think he went like five of seven or five of nine from deep. It was, he had like five threes and it was a crazy shooting game, but Memphis's G League roster had Zaire Williams. Jake LaRavia and Kenny Lofton Jr. on it in that game. And he matched up at times with all of those guys, including Lofton, who's like 6'8, 275 pounds. Um, and down the stretch, Lofton went at him and, and scored on him a couple of times. But there, that was the game where it was just like, okay, this is a guy who just truly doesn't give a fuck who he's guarding. He's going to get up on anybody. And, he, and like you said, he is as locked in on defense at all times as, as any prospect that I've seen this year. And, and Lofton kicked ass in the G league, just so people oh, realize yeah. he, he busted some people's ass in the NBA. Actually, when he got an opportunity, that guy will bully um, plenty of NBA prospects. So I think the city CD definitely has an NBA build. Um, I, I think that on ball versatility, quickness, the, the mentioned, wingspan that measured in six nine in in three quarters and being 220 pounds a lot of guys you talk about that are upside swings are like oh well he's got to put on weight um cd is already like built like a running back like yeah he absolutely has the strength um but i I do think he's better off ball than on right now um what do what do you make of his on ball defense and and just how like switchable versatile do you trust him to be Immediately, I mean, there's no comparison. Even the G League speed is going to be different. So I'm not suddenly going to be like, okay, go out there and and see what you can do ISO against LeBron James or something. Um, but down the line, like that, this is the kind of guy I want to gamble on on ball. Um, and and to me, what makes him probably the most intriguing prospect who I realistically think could be there at 24 for Sacramento is that intersection of off ball awareness and versatility and on ball upside, because is he better off ball than on ball right now? Yeah. But you can say that about quite a lot of guys, his strength, speed, determination. And I, I think his instincts on ball are pretty dang good. Um, I, I, I was really impressed with that Memphis game, uh, especially Zaire Williams and Jake LaRavia. Like it, it's going to be hard for guys unless they're super experienced and just have so many tricks in their bags to score on him easily. Now it's not going to keep them from doing it because ISO defense is the hardest thing to do in the NBA. But in terms of upside, I, I would bet on him above quite a few other defenders in this range. Yeah, I think he definitely has a lot of intrigue there. And I, I think we can transition. I agree with a lot of 
what you said, um, but into his fit with the Kings. And I can ask you it from this perspective of where do you think he would rank on Sacramento's roster that they had last year, or, or let's say the guys that are still under contract going into this next year, where do you think he would rank in terms of wing perimeter defense? Um, wing perimeter defense, probably Kessler Edwards would definitely be higher. Keegan's got more experience. I, I probably would trust Keegan. Definitely trust Keegan more. What am I saying? Do you think um, his long-term projection is better than Keegan, though, defensively? Yes, yeah, right. I think so. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. For yeah. sure. Um, and uh, let, let's just say that the the real – let's pretend right now that Sacramento brings everybody back. That's not realistic, but let's just pretend it. Um. Even me saying that I would have him behind Kessler Edwards in the lineup, I don't think that's an insult, mainly because I'm stupidly high on Kessler Edwards, but also because there's no universe where I am expecting and would be disappointed in whoever they go at 24 spending time in the G League. Um, and I think that's where CD goes because as much as I like him, I think he's a project player. He's got to figure out more half court offensive tricks in his bag before I'm going to trust him in, in real minutes. But on defense, like I expect that whoever he guards in, if he was to go to Sacramento, I, I expect that whoever he's guarding in practice is absolutely going to hate him and it's going to make it very clear early why the team would have taken it that high. I think the same. I, I think that him, maybe it's because I just love watching G league and I can get excited by guys showing flashes in the G league. And I know that's not a typical, um, typical fans are probably not going to have shared that same excitement and joy from watching G league basketball. And I, I do kind of when it comes down to it end up leaning towards some of the safer guys at 24 I think but like with CD's upside it's extremely hard for me to to overlook if that's talking about somebody that could be there at 24 which doesn't seem like the craziest idea because this versatile defense I think Sam Vecini had a mock actually a little while ago right after the lottery yep. that had Sissoko going to the Kings at 24 and he talked about how much they could use positional versatility on the defensive end um, specifically with some, you know, sort of this guard wing forward. Um, and CD absolutely fits into that. So it'd be, if he's sitting there at 24, Vecini has him on his latest big board, which is an old big board, by the way. I know he said he's finished his whole thing. It's just not quite up yet. Um, yeah. but his older big board has him at 25. Kevin O'Connor's has him at 20. Um, I meant to have Brett Huff's consensus big board pulled up, but I don't have it right in front of me. I can get that pulled up in the process here, but um, I can do that. That'd be awesome if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, but if if CD's sitting there at 24, um, is, is he one of these guys you've really come around to thinking would be a solid fit there? Oh, absolutely. I love his defensive fit in Sacramento. Um, everything that, like, it's true that his question marks are absolutely concerning for Sacramento. Like, streaky shooting, going to rack up fouls uh half half court scoring like those are real things uh but everything that makes him a great prospect is are traits that they need um physicality athleticism 
ability to play up and down defensive lineups um, and, and just, you know, major onions. Uh, if that's a, if that's a reference anybody gets. Um, I've pulled He's, up Brett's big board, which is hosted on NBA draft network.com, by the way, which is a brainchild of our friend, uh, sports junkie. Um, Bilal Koulibaly is 20th on Brett's consensus big board. Wow. I'm kind of surprised it's so low. Uh, yeah. Or well, high, I guess you would say. Vicini has him at 24. ESPN has him at 22. The Ringers got him at 15. Um, yeah. Sissoko's at 27. Um, Vicini's got him at 26. No, 25. ESPN's the one that's dragging him down. They've got him at 40. And the Rangers got him at 20. Uh, and then the other guys we can talk about now. Who between, because um, the plan was at the end to kind of, we were going to rank these guys one to five, but I guess we can do it okay. as we go, if that works for you. Um, yeah. Between Bilal and, and CD Sissoko, who would you pick if they were both available at 24? Uh, I'd pick Bilal. Uh, and that's not an insult to CD, especially since I don't think Koulibaly's there at 24, but uh, the Koulibaly's much more fluid, explosive athlete. Um, if his handle comes around, I don't think he's got as good a handle as CD right now, but if it comes around, I think he's a much more like kind of natural, uh, half court creator. Um, and you know, he's, he's just as tall, much longer. And even if I think that CD does more with those tools offensively right now, I think the ceiling definitely goes to Koulibaly. I feel the same. I, I really like both of these guys. I don't expect Koulibaly to be there at 24. I think CD absolutely could be, though, um, which is me agreeing with you. I, I think yeah. that Bilal is, is who I would take between the two, but again, obviously don't expect that to exactly be an option. I, I'd be really thrilled with both of these guys. And the next guy we're planning on getting to here is Max Lewis, Maxwell Lewis, who went to Pepperdine and measured in at the combine at six six and a quarter without shoes, so close to six seven six eight um with shoes with a seven foot wingspan he's twenty years old and will turn um what is this he's born in two thousand two next month um I think so, that means yeah he's gonna be twenty one by uh start of season. I hate to admit how bad I am at that math, but I think you're right oh, about that yeah no he's gonna be he's gonna be he he will turn twenty one before the season. Got you. Um, so I, I believe, make sure, but I'm pretty sure he's the oldest guy we're talking about today. He is. Um, yes, Derek Whitehead's not Dariq. too far off. He's about four months off. But um, Max Lewis what? is. I don't think that's right. I think Derek is eighteen. He's eighteen. Oh, you're right. right. I, I, I wrote be, the wrong year on here. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely. He'll be nineteen. Right. He'll be nineteen when the season starts. And. Um, Oh, I, I was looking at Derek and CD being four months off. That's my fault. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah, Max Lewis. So a little bit older here. The and went to Pepperdine. You wrote a great profile that went up on the Kings Herald that absolutely everybody should check out. And a lot of the upside when it comes to Max Lewis here is his creation and just offensive game. And there's some defensive upside there as well. Talk about sort of a three and D guy, but I think the guaranteed thing, you know, you're getting from Max Lewis is the three point shooting. 
where yeah. he was just phenomenal this year. Um, and this was his second year at Pepperdine, his sophomore year. A rookie year was 36.3% from three on 4.3 attempts per game. And you keep that same 4.3 attempts per game this year. That does end up going down to 40, uh, 34.8. Um, but very big difference start of the year and end of the year for Max Lewis as teams started to key in on him more. He didn't have a great surrounding cast in Pepperdine that yeah. um, you can shed more light on. But that 43.1% on catch-and-shoot threes like it, there are upside swing scales with Max Lewis, but catch and shoot three point shooting is something he's just going to be amazing at, right? Yeah, and that ability off the catch is going to give him the offensive floor in his first couple of development seasons, which is great because it more so than I think anybody else we're going to talk about. Like he has to adjust how he played at Pepperdine to how any NBA team is going to use him because. You know, Pepperdine didn't really have any other options. Um, and that was really evident when they transitioned from he, he, uh, let me find those numbers. Uh, in December, when they were still in non-conference schedule, uh, 21.1 points, 4.5 rebounds, a steal and a block per game, 49.2% shooting and 38.6% from deep. But like you said, as soon as they switched over to West Coast conference play, WCC coaches, uh, I, I always will say this, the WC, and this is not biased, by the way. I know I'm a, a native son of the West Coast Conference, but the WCC is the is one of the more underappreciated college leagues out there because the coaches always know how to scout guys based off a of non-conference and how to adjust their teams moving forward. Um, 16 games of WCC play, he averaged 15.1 points, 41% shooting, and 25.4% from deep. And Pepperdine just had no other options. Like the offensive potential that he showed was still there, but it got hidden behind his own inconsistencies and the team surrounding him. Um, and I say that to emphasize, he's going to have to accept a much lower role at the next level. Like he had almost a 30% usage rate. Uh, and a lot of off the dribble stuff, a lot of self creation stuff. That's what Pepperdine had to do. They didn't have any other options. Um, in the NBA, like he moves well off the ball. He's going to make defenses pay attention to him. Um, and as teams try to scale up his offense, they can at least fall back knowing that he's going to be dynamic off the catch. He's absolutely going to be. And I want to ask you about those conference play numbers and teams sort of I don't know the figuring at him out is the right word but just starting to really take away that three-point shot kind of you, you talk about it in your piece but really running him off the line and he still yeah. finishes at the rim at a decent rate I, I see 62.7 percent on synergy um so what do you feel like it was that was as somebody I mean you watched a lot more Max Lewis than I did leading up to this um what what do you feel like it was that WCC teams in watching film had had figured out about him, and what does it say that maybe he didn't combat combat that in the best way? Yeah, well, I, I think it's a couple of things. One of them is is that they were really trying to run him off the line because, especially before WCC conference play, like the the big concern that everybody was just circling for Max Lewis was that. He just doesn't attack the basket all that much. Um, and, and I had a couple clips in my piece that just showed he had, had decent lanes to the basket and just would rather settle for a fade back shot. 
and teams just knew, okay, we're going to stick up on this guy and, and try to make him get to the basket. And it, and it was a, a blessing in disguise for his game because even as his deep shooting numbers weren't great, like later and later into the season, he had some really nice plays at the basket, especially uh, against Gonzaga, um, which which is good to see. If this wasn't the best defensive Gonzaga team that has ever existed, but they were still the most talented WCC team. Um, and look at you being nice to Gonzaga. Yeah, I, I can't believe I just said that, Whoa. especially since St. Mary's was like so good for much of the year. I can't believe I've, I said that. I found the clip to preview the show. And- as soon as I said those words, I was like, <laughs> "What am I talking about?" Um, but it the, the playmaking at the rim was impressive. Um, I I I do want to say since we're talking about um, you know, the WCC overall, like Pepperdine was not a good team. In either of the years he was there, they were a 16 and 47 in that span. They were last in the conference in both seasons and they were last for points allowed per game. Um, and I don't want to put that on Lewis because it, 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 and as much as it wasn't, that wasn't a great situation for him. You never want to just blame the player, especially, especially since that team's biggest weakness was just how chaotic they were on defense. Um, and, and my old buddy, my old boss, uh, and resident WCC expert, Zach Farmer, he put it to me like Lorenzo Romar, who, who was coach at, uh, Washington before this, and then came down to Pepperdine as this big name. Oh, he's coming to take over the WCC. Like Zach said, he knows how to do less with more better than anybody in college basketball. And that team, especially defensively, just rarely ever looked composed or or determined on that end of the court. And how efficient is your offense going to be if you're always just desperately trying to shoot yourself back into ball games and defenses like know who they can narrow in on? I it, it was just not a recipe for uh, a any sort of NBA prospect to really be uh, an efficient offensive player. He's definitely one of those where you know when you're watching the college film that this is just not going to be anywhere close to his role in the NBA. Yeah. And kind of makes it not a tough evaluation, but tough to figure out exactly how all this is going to translate. I do think when it comes to his shooting, and there's some really interesting space creation stuff, and I think a lot of it has to do with footwork rather than handle. The handle is is intriguing, but I think the footwork's impressive like with step backs. And one of the things that stands out that almost gives me um, and, and obviously there's never straight up comparisons. I'm just talking vaguely. Um, but the way that he always is on balance with his jump shots and is extremely tall, high release with his seven foot wingspan almost gives me like a little Michael Porter here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, a little and shorter, but I get it. Yeah. And obviously not talking about that, him being Michael Porter, but like the, the high release, the great footwork, the always being on balance, I think is a sign of one of the, uh, one of a, just really high level shooter. Um, yeah. What, he, what do you think? He, the other... a, he, he and another guy we're going to talk about in terms of just natural of yeah. shooting fluidity and balance and, and you know, there are good shooters. There are good standstill shooters. And then there's, uh, I, I don't want to make this direct comparison because that's not fair, but for er, all of the frustrations we had with him, like, I'm talking a buddy healed kind of shooter where the, the fluidity and didn't need to be set in the same way every time could just 
get a shot up. And even if it didn't look like any other three that he's taken beforehand, it had a chance to go in. And, and to a certain extent, I see that with Max Lewis. And I see that with another guy we'll talk about in a bit. You can't teach that kind of shooting. Absolutely agreed. And I think another, what, maybe the only other area that MPJ parallel sort of comes in is the, uh, lack of playmaking. The, when I touch the ball, I'm probably about to shoot it. Um, 87 assists to 107 turnovers for Max Lewis. Um, does that, like, what do you, what do you do with that sort of numbers and that sort of game when it comes to playmaking? Is that just sort of, in your mind, limiting what his potential role is in the NBA, and that's fine. That's just a reality of who he is as a prospect, or or how do you sort of look at that? I look at it as a, a complete question mark with no. I don't want to take anything from Pepperdine as as true evidence one way or another. Um, he had a lot of bad turnovers, but he also showed the ability to see the right plays a couple of times but just so limited in terms of of mismatch creation, guys, teammates being able to, to really take advantage of any level of playmaking. And I'm not saying he's going out there being a true playmaker. Um, I, I, I don't want to take much from Pepperdine's offense. Um, it's a big question mark moving forward. It's something he has to prove. He has to prove that he can be a true cog in a smart offense especially as that offensive responsibility scales up probably before any team's like hey you go out there and and really show us what you can do offensively they're going to be like no you got to see this read you got to know who to get the ball to you can't be the one taking shots off the dribble early in your career keep the ball moving um so i i don't want to undersell the question mark but i also don't want to just sit here and be like i don't think he has any playmaking upside at all well, and we live in a crazy world in reality where we get to say that uh, the Sacramento Kings might actually be a pretty ideal fit in a situation where some of these prospects can really just focus on their strengths and fit yeah. into a system. Uh, that's the world we're in now, and I think that Max it's Lewis wonderful. absolutely makes sense in that offensive system. Um, I did realize that we're almost we're five minutes, six minutes under an hour, and we still got two more guys to go, so I'll <laughs> a little bit here. That's my fault. Uh, I, I do want to say... I, I yeah. want to say just real quickly on his defense. He has the yeah, tools. Get to that. Yeah. He just, it, there's nothing consistent. Um, he, there were a couple, especially against UCLA, where like in that game, he both had a beautiful recovery block where you can really see his tools and moments where it was just like, are you, do you even care? Are you, are you even going to try to stay locked in with your guys? Like, uh, faster defenses through that whole team in the chaos, him as much as anybody. He, he's far away from being an NBA level defender. Uh, but in five years, if we're looking at it like, yeah, Max Lewis is a good two way player. It's, it's not because of the lack of tools. It's just because of the lack of, of consistency, effort and coaching, honestly, at Pepperdine. And that's where I get really lost on like how to even feel about him because there's a world where he's not engaged defensively. Um, and so, some of those clips, and I'm sure if you posted the worst and best of each of these guys, you could say the same about the worst, but some of those clips, like it's like, Oh my God, you're that. What is this? What, what are you, 
not even trying here to sort of to your point. Um, and that's where I think like Bassini has said that, you know, he seems to be Max Lewis seems to be pretty polarizing among NBA front offices. And I think that's sort of where that lies. And I don't really know how to feel. Um, yeah. I, I think that when it comes to Sacramento at 24, um, I think that, you know, I'm sure eventually we'll end up talking about some of the safer prospects, but I think that bef- I'd probably look towards some of the safer guys before I look to Max Lewis's upside. But another one of those guys where, again, there's going to be probably 15 of people that fit into this category where if they did take them, I would talk myself into the upside. Like I, I would understand, oh, yeah. um, but I easily have him below Koulibaly and Sissoko. Yeah, I would agree there. Um Looking at uh, Brett Huff's uh, consensus big board on NBADraftNetwork.com. Vicini has him at 29. Uh, Gavoni over at ESPN has him at 31. And The Ringer has him all the way down at 34. Um, I I, I think he could be one of those guys who surprises us like, whoa, he just went at 14. Or he could be there very easily at 24. So I, I think his range is very high. If he's there at 38, I'd be jumping for joy. I, I wouldn't oh, yeah. bet on it. Um, but oh my God, I would love it. Like he's the type yeah. of guy. I mean, there's a lot of guys that fall into the category where I'm like, oh, I don't know about 24. I'd talk myself into it, but God, I'd love it at 38. And, and Max Lewis fits into that. I, I'd expect him to, if you want this guy, you probably got to go at 24 rather than 38 though. Um, NFL Sunday ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us all together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 Now streaming. He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Does that. Vacation Friends 2, rated R, now streaming only on Hulu. Derek Whitehead is who we got up next, and he's the guy you were sort of hinting at as another one of those just elite shooters and some of that shot creation. I think the balance fits the same and yeah. ridiculous flashes. Um, at the combine measured in at six half and six, uh, six five and three quarters without shoes with a six ten and a quarter wingspan. He is 18 years old. He's the one who I accidentally misspoke on. He's actually four year, uh, four months older than C.D. Sissoko. Um, and he was ranked second as an ESPN prospect in high school. But important context before we get into anything here really is that he suffered a, I'm going to try it with these words, but a fifth metatarsal foot injury in the summer. And that forced him to miss the uh, the training camp and he's even Duke's first couple regular season games. And then he also had a follow-up surgery in May and athleticism was an extremely big intriguing aspect in him that had him ranked so high coming out of high school that you just didn't really see at Duke. So when you're yeah. writing your profile that you put up on the Kings Herald, another one that people should check out Derek Whitehead. Um, when you're watching the film on him, what sort of, at the front of your mind when you're trying to factor in these, this injury history? Um, well, just 
from the standpoint of what he absolutely can do is it it is very impressive to me that a guy can look so limited in terms of it, it was rough to see him try to attack the basket and then you th- sit there and be like okay yeah his foot injury now we can look at it and no hey his foot injury never healed right he he had the surgery again in may to clean it up and, and, and try to fix it um so it it somewhat explains that uh, uh, the roughness at getting to the basket he just did not have the explosiveness that uh got him ranked number two by espn coming out uh coming into college but at the same time like you can say that and then it just makes his shooting prowess much more impressive because this is suddenly those shooting numbers, 42.9% from three. Uh, and let me find his off the bounce number 44.3% on all catch and shoot shots. Um, and 37 point 38.7% on off the dribble shots. Like those are crazy numbers for any prospect, especially a guy who, you know, has a, has a, had suffered from a, a broken bone in his foot all season that didn't heal. Um, and like I was talking about earlier with Max Lewis, his ability off the bounce, his ability to shoot without any sort of balance is, is incredibly impressive. And what makes it even more so is when you listen to guys who watched him in high school, it doesn't sound like that was the selling point. The selling point was, his three-level scoring, specifically his ability to get to the basket and finish on the top of guys. And it sounds like his three-point shot was the question mark. And suddenly we're talking about a guy who shot almost 43% from three and did so at, at, at a decent level as the only shooter in Duke's system. Um, so in, in terms of projection at the next level, like this is a great shooter. That is what we know for sure. The rest of it is is definitely a whole bunch of question marks, but his selling point is a really easy one, and his role early in his NBA career is a really easy one. He's gonna make he's gonna put a, he's gonna make a whole lot of gravity. He's gonna draw defenses out to him, and they are gonna have to watch him because he can shoot exceptionally well off the catch. Yeah, and while both of these guys are upside swings, I, I mean, I think that if you can have any one skill in the NBA, being an elite three-point shooter is one way to make sure that you're probably going to end up finding yourself at least a small role on an yeah. NBA team. If you can shoot the crap out of the wall the way that both Max Lewis and now we're talking about Derek Whitehead can. Um, you mentioned some of those three-point numbers that are obviously ridiculous. I think those self-creation flashes are intriguing. Um, I, I want to ask you, though, something that's probably a pretty difficult question um but when you see the athleticism from those high school clips that are like ridiculous and then you watch duke and he doesn't even quite look this like it's almost hard to believe that it's the same person yeah right how do you how do you go about that is that like a a luxury if you get it or are you looking at it as uh you know we've seen it before so you know it's there you can probably bet on it coming back or or where are you at with that i have no idea only because like this isn't a guy who who struggled to uh showcase the same athleticism because of um competition changes this is a guy who did it because of a foot injury and and i have no idea if the second surgery is going to fix that i don't know um but at the same time like the 
difference in betting on it coming back is different for a team at 24 than it is for like a team at, you know, in the lottery. Um, if Sacramento takes him at 24 and all he is is an excellent catch and shoot guy who maybe gets, you know, some of that elevation back enough to where, um, he can, he can scare defenders if they rush at him too aggressively. Like that, that's very valuable for a team. Uh, it's probably not as valuable for a lottery team that's, you know, going to be asking for a much higher load, but that's kind of the beauty of Sacramento at 24 is, is that they can gamble on these guys to a certain extent. And at least, like we said, you know that Derek Whitehead's got one skill. And if the rest of it comes, suddenly you're looking at a, a guy who could be a promising three level scorer again at a position of real need. Yeah, you definitely see it. Um, I would like to think that, you know, typically this time of year when you're going through all the workouts is when you'd be able to get a good feel for where his athleticism is at, but obviously had that follow-up surgery in May, which I would yeah. imagine, I don't know this, but I'd imagine is impacting whatever sort of workouts are going on right now. I can um, almost guarantee that. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and that makes it tough. I will say um, I'm a lot more encouraged by his on-ball defense than I was with Max Lewis. Um, I, I thought that Dariq's physicality on-ball and just like his best moments of on-ball defense really give you an example of like, okay, if you're locked in, you're engaged on this end, I see how you can be really impactful defenders sort of with with two threes and, and move your feet at a good level, use your strength and physicality to not really get bumped and and I was pretty impressed by the things I saw from his admittedly best moments as an on-ball defender. Yeah, um, it, the effort is just night and day. And to me, the number one thing I always want to look at in, in young guys, especially freshmen, is effort on defense. Because nobody's going to – okay, not nobody. Few players are going to come into college and then transition to the NBA and be – meaningful defenders in terms of awareness, in terms of instincts, in terms of just knowing where they even need to be. So what you can't teach is effort and intensity. And I thought he had that. Um, that said, he his, his foot injury did uh, limit some of the on-ball stuff, like he repeatedly failed to stick with quicker opponents on perimeter drives. Um, and that was something that Duke could compensate for because they just had Big, big man lineups with uh, uh, Derek Lively as their rim protector um, and, and big bodies just to, to throw weight around. But that's a bigger concern moving forward. Um, I don't think that uh, – if the Kings are going to hesitate drafting him at 24, it's because I, I don't know that I love his on-ball defense this year. But it would also be really easy just to be like, you know, Another year removed from the surgery. Hopefully he's ready by training camp. Um, I think either way, he's going to be spending a lot of time in the G League. And, and in terms of tools, if he can get anywhere back to the fit, to the athleticism that he had pre-Duke, I think he's got a good tool set to be, uh, uh an average at worst defender. Um, but he's got to prove that first. Does he not? I mean, this is probably lazy with, uh, it being a highly ranked high school prospect that went to Duke, but does this not feel like sort of AJ Griffin all over again? Yeah, I think even even with the injury, like 
Derek is a little bit more uh, fluid's kind of hard to say because like he wasn't fluid last year, but he's not quite as herky jerky as AJ Griffin. Um, and I think that AJ Griffin was even a level higher in terms of a catch and shoot threat, but yeah, it's not far off. And, but we're not talking about him at, you know, in the lottery now we're talking about a guy 24, which is, which makes it really exciting. Like to me, uh, I'll spoil the, the question we'll have in a moment. I would, I'd have, uh, Bilal over him. I'd have City Sissoko over him, but I definitely have Whitehead over Max Lewis just because that shooting efficiency is bonkers and you know what you're getting with him. I absolutely have the same. Um, I think that there is previous proof of that sort of three-level scoring, and I've kind of really bought into, there's been a lot of people I feel like, and admittedly this is, you know, uh, quote-unquote draft experts on my on my timeline that I obviously put a lot of time and research into everything, but like people really talk about the importance of high school tape, right? And I've really bought into this recently, and I, I think that Derek sort of falls into that and specifically sort of his upside versus Max Lewis. Um, I feel like the size when it comes to strength um, that Derek has is a little bit more, it's easy to see how that translates to the NBA level in my mind than Max, where I have a little bit more questions where maybe that physicality finishing at the rim. And obviously Derek has a lot of work to do there as well. Um, But I think that, it seems like an easier path to me with Derek because we've seen it before when Max maybe would take a little bit more work. Um, do, do you expect Derek to, I don't know if you have um, Brett Huff's big board up right now, specifically when it comes to Derek compared to Max. Yeah. Um, Derek is 21st on his rankings. Um, pretty much. Sam Vizzini's got him at 21. ESPN has him at 26. The Ringer has him at 27. Does anybody have Lewis over him? No. None of those three have Lewis over him. So it seems sort of coin flip-ish that Derek will be there, right? At 24? Yeah. Yeah. And if he is, it, I mean, it's another one of those guys. If they jumped on it, I'd be pretty expi- excited. Um, again, I don't exactly expect them to jump on upside swings, but genuinely have no clue because I don't know if the context of their previous draft clicks um, applies to when they're sitting at 24 compared to their relative previous spots. So I think if Tariq was there, it'd be really hard for Sacramento to pass up on it. And I have the same ranking as you of Bilal, CD, Tariq, and then uh, Max Lewis. Yeah, I that would be my order. Next guy, unless you have anything else on Derek. No, um, I, he's he's that kind of upside swing that I would love to see this team go for. Absolutely. And again, you wrote a great profile on um, all three of the last guys we've talked about. Derek Whitehead, Max Lewis, and then C.D. Sissoko will be coming out soon. But the Max and Derek profiles are already out there. Um, Julian Phillips is the last guy that we've got on this list who at the combine did measure in at a 6'6 and three quarters without shoes with a 6'11 and a half wingspan, 19 years old in October of 2003 is when Phillips was born. And Phillips absolutely has question marks around his offensive game. Um, But I think where actually, you know, we started with it when it came to Sissoko. So let's start with it when it comes to Phillips as well. His, His three point shot. 
Um, and I mentioned with Sissoko how maybe some of his free throw numbers could be an indicator that's somewhat concerning, although that's a far from perfect and often parallel indicator. Sometimes it ends up panning out, other times not. But that 82.2% uh, from the line that Phillips shot this year, his freshman year at Tennessee on 3.7 free throw attempts per game, I think is a is a decent sign, even if you're talking about 23.9% from three on 1.4 three-point yeah. attempts per game. If you, if you look at his catch-and-shoot three-point numbers during his time at Sen- Tennessee, it's not too much different. You're talking about 36.3%. Um, but that doesn't sound horrible to me. I mean, this is obviously, we're going to get to his defense, which is where I think most, if not really all of his impact is going to come from. And he just has to survive offensively. But that three-point shot is the key to being able to survive offensively or else we're talking about as as much as I was clearly a fan. We're talking about Robert Woodard if the shot doesn't go down, no matter what you can do on defense. You know, you know what? In terms of the total package, that, that comparison's not not crazy. Phillips is a little more skinny, but um, I, I, I'll, I'll say the upside first. Um, he's just eighteen. Tennessee has never been a program where guys, especially young players, get to shine on offense or get you know real opportunities with the basketball in their hands. So there, there could be untapped upside up there um the numbers aside from the free throw rate which is like you said uh, 82.2 percent is impressive um 26 percent on all spot up shots 23.9 percent from deep um even like 54.7 percent at the rim is is fine but not more than that and i i you know He'll make his way in the NBA because of his defense, but more so than any guy that we've talked about today, I think he's the biggest risk. I agree. I mean, like, uh, it's there's never a perfect comp, but like, I definitely feel like I learned a lot from the Robert Woods, the Isaac Okoros. Those two guys are very different, but like, if you cannot shoot the ball, and there's not much else you provide offensively, which obviously a core doesn't really fall into that, but uh, Woodard and like Phillips really would. You you can, I guess, he's an extreme athlete and I guess could play in dunker spot, but you never really saw him do that all too much. And that, that three-point shot has to be decent if he's going to really make an impact in the NBA because all of his intriguing upside lies on the defensive end where, you know, I've seen people praising him as like, wow, this may be one of the better on ball defenders in the league. Yeah. Or um, I'm sorry, in his draft. And it's crazy intriguing. I mean, that almost seven foot, you're a half inch off of seven foot wingspan, ridiculous athleticism. Like I don't don't even quite know how to make it clear to anybody that hasn't watched him, but the bounce is ridiculous. The fluidity at his size is crazy watching some of his film today and it's like he's the one matched up with Derek Whitehead you know and and we're talking yeah. about so much more size i actually thought he was a lot better at guarding some of the wings guards rather than than bigs and as much as you know Davion's great DeAaron is was much improved when he was engaged at this on the, that end of the floor defensively this year which he was more often than not i felt like like that wing guard and maybe some forward defense is something that Sacramento really could use. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, 
I don't know that I'm quite as high an all defender as you are. Like I think that CD and Bilal probably are both more promising on ball defender upsides, but like he has the tools you look for in a switchable modern defensive prospect. Um, and you don't get recruited to or play real minutes for Rick Barnes in Tennessee without being uh, a willing uh, defender. Like they were third in the country for both points allowed per game and opponent field goal percentage. And, and he was a real part of that. Um, like you said, six eight, six eleven wingspan. His his quick feet, like that, to me is the outlier. I, I'm not. There aren't many dudes that you watch who have the fluidity at that foot speed moving backwards like he does. Um, and his length is is real. Uh, he switched between guards through bigs. His size, he's really going to need to bulk up a lot before that comes into play at the NBA level. Um, you know, a comp, honestly, like he's the same sort of defensive swing, same size and length as, as we saw from Kessler Edwards at Pepperdine a few years back. Um, and it's never a bad thing to have that redundancy, defensive redundancy at that position. Um, I'm definitely going to have him last amongst the guys we've talked about just because same. I don't know where his offense comes from. Even if you tell me, Hey, right now I'll tell, I'll promise you. He's going to shoot 34% from deep. Okay. What else? It, we just don't have any evidence for it. We don't. It would have to be, you know, him becoming a good cutter and using that athleticism where it's like, okay, if you can hit a spot up threes and play within the flow of, again, we get to talk about like a Sacramento offense where I think role players can very clearly have defined like what they sort of need to do. And if you can hit spot up threes and, and cut and finish at the rim with, with his athleticism, I don't think he was great in that aspect. You know, he was in 27th percentile according to synergy and in, in cuts. Um, so obviously work that needs to be done there, but not playing with a guy like, like Domas and and obviously would be an extremely different role for him. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. And again, it's definitely last on my list, um, but I do want to. I do want to. It all is. Yeah, I do want to just keep emphasizing. Tennessee is not where prospects go to shine offensively. It just never happens. Um, so there's real sneaky upside in terms of you know just like we always say. Oh, always trust guards that come from Kentucky because Calipari right. always holds them back. Like the same. The same is true for Rick Barnes. And and who are some of the previous examples? I think of Grant Williams. There was Admiral Schofield. There was um, who is Jaden Springer, right? But Jaden Springer. Well, he's a diff- he he same kind of thing. But the the question mark's still there because he's just been sitting in the 76ers G League team for the last couple of years. I think Tennessee players. Yeah, look it up because uh, you just named the four guys I thought of: Keon Johnson. Exact right. same kind of guy. Yeah. Virginia Kennedy Chandler, another guard, same kind of thing. Um, Josh yeah. Richardson, if you go way back. Wow, I didn't realize he was Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. 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 Was um, he? Yeah. Okay. I, I, Google, Google may be lying to me right now, but I know Keon Johnson and <laughs> Kennedy Chandler both were. Yeah, I do remember Keon Johnson. Yep. Yeah, another guy that is yep. just a – ridiculous athlete different size and length um but somewhat similar ideas of what their roles would be at the next level yeah josh richardson did go to tennessee google didn't lie to me gotcha um 
yeah, I mean, I would have Phillips at the bottom here easily. Um, so my order, and I think you agree with me, correct me if I'm wrong, would be Bilal Koulibaly, Derek, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, C.D. Sissoko, Derek Whitehead, Max Lewis, and then Julian Phillips. <laughs> I hate that we agree, but yeah, we do. We we always do, Brian. And as much as I love having you as a co-host, I swear to God, it's better for conversation if we disagree. I was my only <laughs> ever about you. It's that damn, we always think the same way. I guess great yeah. minds think alike, but. Yeah, we need to have we need to have Rich back in here. (laughs) He's a contrarian just for the fun of it, to be fair. So happy belated, by the way, to Rich. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Um, It it, I mean, as as, I'm spoiling a bit for my CD Sissoko piece here, but I I did now that uh, uh, our wonderful Kings Herald site has gotten all of the old uh, Sacktown royalty pieces back. I did a joke being like, oh. Uh, my King's Herald uh, um, fellow King's Herald writers are all mocking me like, oh, Brian's fallen in love with a 3D prospect who can't really shoot again. That's never happened before. <laughs> and I just started listing them all out. Like uh, Isaac Okoro was the obvious one, but then you're talking about uh, Jonathan Isaac. You're talking about Aaron Gordon. I was really high on um, Justice Winslow, another guy who busted. Um, let's see. Who else can I name? Uh, uh, Which sure there's one more. Oh, OG and Anubi, the best of them all. Did Did you feel like you reached a point where you had to like second guess falling for those guys, or were there oh. enough hits among that group that you still kept and held on to some belief? The this the year where I was both really high on Isaac Okoro and Admiral Schofield, like that was that was. <laughs> It did it for me too, Brian, because I think I had a, you might have been the same, but speaking for myself, I had a Coro second that year. And that was the year <laughs> that too. I was highest on like uh, on my draft. That was so bad. I think that was a Tyrese so year, bad. right? Yes, yeah. that was a Tyrese year. And how dumb was it that we didn't have Tyrese much, much higher than that? Well, at very least, I don't think either one of us would have let him fall to 12, but. Oh, God, no. Like, I think I had him. It's probably seven somewhere like year? seven or eight seventh? for me or yeah. something. Yeah, I think I had him seven. Oh, but I was like, I was convinced that Akora was the next Igodala, that it was, that he was everything. And now I'm thinking that maybe Cleveland should sign Harrison Barnes. So that says where we're at. <laughs> hey, you know, just it, uh, let's say, uh, hey, Kings, go draft uh, Derek Whitehead at 24 and then um, sign and trade uh, Harrison Barnes to Cleveland for Isaac Akora. There we go. Problem solved. There you go. Sounds good to me. Um, last thing before we get out of here, Brian. Sorry, I appreciate you. I know we've kept you here for a long time. Um, I am all busy, good. Busy time of year for you. Um, but last thing, like, how do you feel about the Kings actually using this pick on an upside swing? I'd love to see it. That's what I want them to do. Um, as much as I like, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, um, Chris Murray. Kobe Jones is probably going to be my favorite of the safer guys, but I also think that he's not the most like it. He's he and Chris Murray are both kind of scratching the surface at what they can be. And I think that it's, it's too easy to just be like, no, they are who they are. They're not going to get better. Yeah. And I can't tell you by the way, how much I appreciate you for letting me take the Kobe Jones piece, because I think he's one of my favorite people this draft. And I'm really excited to do that this next week. (laughs) I'm excited to read it. Uh, I'll, I'll, it'll be exciting to see how how much it feels like I wrote it. 
<laughs> since we agree too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, but these are the kind of guys I want to see them swing. You're 24. If now's not the time you go for a guy who in two, three years is suddenly you're starting three, like when would you go for that? When would you make that swing in a draft? So I, I, I would much prefer to see them take CD Sissoko or Tariq Whitehead. Um, maybe Max Lewis, although his efficiencies do worry me over, yeah. over some of those more safe guys. Kulabali, Whitehead, Sissoko, all I would be absolutely thrilled with at 24. Um, Max Lewis and Julian Phillips, I would be able to, I think, talk myself and be able to understand their thought process, but that would be a little bit of a tougher one for me, more so guys that like I'd be thrilled at 38 and maybe a little bit unsure of at 24, even though I could talk myself into the vision. Um, is there I, anybody I'll, I'll else? Admit- I'll admit that if Julian Phillips is their pick at 24, he's kind of in that range that makes me feel like, really? Okay. Um, You know, other upside swings. Yeah, just Um, names to mention sort of in passing. We don't got to get in too deep. Yeah. Uh, Noah Clowney clearly is is my favorite of the upside swings for bigs. Um, James Nagy is uh, one of those guys people are, are excited about from a physical standpoint, although it doesn't sound like he may come over straight from Barcelona. Or am I getting that wrong? Maybe he was the guy that was like, "I, you guys have to buy me out right now. I don't want to stay here. I don't honestly yeah, remember. Yeah, I honestly don't remember. What, what, do you, what do you feel about um Gigi Jackson? That's like the uh, ultimate upside swing boomer bust, yeah, right? Yeah, he is. Um, in terms of like the physical tool set, the age, I think he's the youngest guy in this draft class. Um, mm-hmm. Is is his combination of shooting upside, rebounding at his position, like it's there, but we are then talking about the most extreme case of you ain't, you ain't playing how you did it at South Carolina. Like South Carolina structured that whole dang team around him. And he still complained about it on Instagram live, <laughs> which, yeah. which, and you know, we're talking about a guy who who reclassified so that he could play at South Carolina last year, and right. that team was not good. Um, so I do think it was encouraging to see him sort of like grow and develop in that role throughout the course of the year. But that's definitely from a pretty low starting point. Yeah, um, I'll mention yeah. Brandon. What I don't know how to say the full last name, but Pods is what we'll Pajemski. go with. Pajemski. Pajemski. Yeah, Brandon Pajemski. Gotcha. And. Um, uh, this is the nicest I'll be about a Santa Clara prospect. <laughs> <laughs> Even after Jalen Williams rookie year? Yeah. Well, I'm so mad at myself. I should have seen who Jalen Williams was going to be <laughs> last year. Uh, even within my own dang backyard. Um, but Pajemski well, is, is, is to me, like, you know what you're getting. He is a great shooter. He is a smart player. Like, you're t- I, I, I think he was the WCC leader in rebounds at, as a 6-4 guard. Um, great playmaker for his position, a steal like, point eight per game. Great, great playmaker. Like, yeah. after De'Aaron and Domas would be the best passer. I mean, Malik's a damn good passer, but like, yeah, I think Pod Malik throws some passes but... where you're like, holy yeah. crap. And at the same time, you could just 
carbon copy what you did for Kevin Herter offensively and just be like, go do that. And that's never a bad thing to have off the bench. Uh, if he's the pick at 24, yeah, I'll be excited. I'll, I'll have the guys we've talked about. I'd probably have Max Lewis over him just in terms of the size uh, upside comparison because um, yeah. Brandon's like, uh, I, what was he at the combine? I want to get this right. Because all year long it was like, oh, he's 6'5". I'm like, that guy don't look 6'5". Um, Brandon. He's 6'3", 0.75 without shoes. So he's 6'4", 6'5". Um, you know, With a that, six that, five and a half wingspan, yeah. Yeah, defensive upside's just it. It in terms of intellect, in terms of awareness, it's there. But you, Sacramento needs more than another smart defender if they're ever gonna like be a be a, a average defense. Agreed. Which is where some of these other guys sort of come into play. Um, I think smart offensive players are a dream fit in Sacramento among kind of what they have going on right now. They're free flowing offense, a lot running through that elbow with Domas or or through De'Aaron. I think he fits great offensively, but definitely where this team, Sacramento Kings, are going to take a jump is by getting improved on the defensive end and sort of not losing much um, offensively. I mean, obviously everybody's going to point to Denver right now, fresh off a championship, but that was a team for a long time that I thought, man, this team is great offensively, but I don't know that they're good enough defensively. And they went and got the perfect complementary pieces mm-hmm. to clean up that aspect. And I will say Jamal, it took Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic taking big jumps on the defensive end. And to be blunt with you, I don't know that DeMontis Savonis can ever be the defender that Nikola Jokic was. Not to say that Nikola Jokic was a great defender or anything, but I do think that... um he wasn't a negative out there necessarily on the defensive end. And I think that statement of Domas, maybe not being able to reach that point has anything has more to do with physical limitations than anything else. Um, but getting those complimentary pieces of a KCP of a Bruce Brown, of a Christian Brown, of a Aaron Gordon, like Aaron Gordon changed everything. Yes, and it's a lot easier when your two stars are shooters. I will say, like, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic being good three-point shooters makes it a lot easier to bring in a guy that's a defensive specialist with a little bit of a shaky three-point shot. Like, I don't know that the Kings have that same luxury with the level of shooters that De'Aaron and Domas are at their current stages. So there's a lot riding on those guys improving that makes the roster construction around them complicated. Um, but I, I think there is something, a parallel to look at with Denver and Sacramento. Yeah. It, 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 on both ends of the court, I completely agree with that. Um, and that starts with the Kings being smart about their picks. It, they can't just, it, it, and as much as you and I love uh, defenders who have questionable offensive upside, like you can't just go out and, and gamble it away on, on so many of those guys, but you also can't just sit there and be like, okay, we're just going to keep adding shooters um, because this team has to get better on on defense without sacrificing everything on offense. Agreed. Um, it's been about an hour and a half, Brian. I appreciate <laughs> you taking the time, man. I know it's a busy time of year. Um, profiles you've gotten up so far on Kings Herald are Chris Murray, Dariq Whitehead, Noel Clowney, Trace Jackson, Davis, Maxwell Lewis and I believe CD Sissoko is coming up uh, soon here, right? 
Yep, CD Sissoko will be up sometime this week, and then uh, I'll have a big board up next week. Awesome. Um, well, definitely everybody check out those pieces. Great work as always this time of year, Bryant. Can't well, say and yours too. I appreciate you having on. Everybody needs to go check out your uh, Bilal Kulabali piece, and uh, you'll have Kobe Jones up there uh, sometime this week, early next week. And that is the point. Hey, Hey, you know, uh, uh, this is this is my favorite pod to come on for this kind of stuff. I always appreciate you, bud. My guy, I, I appreciate you too. Um, I'll ask you too, also, because I want to do Cody Jones, and I think I want to try to fit one more in, um, if I can, because I need to catch up more than anything. But my question is, do I go Julian Phillips, or is there a different like name? I, I mean, I was pretty tempted to go with Brandon Pods, Podemski. Right? Yeah. I think I got that right. Um, He'd be a good or, one. Is there um, a different guy that stands out to you? I want to make, I want to say Marcus Sasser just so that you have to look at a guard. Mm. Um, I don't really see. want to look at a guard, Brian. Not going to lie. <laughs> um, let's see. What makes sense? Uh, Ray and Rupert. Rupar. Yes. <laughs> just so you have to do more international games. I'm just not the most educated. <laughs> well, no, I'm more thinking because then you have to go look up more international tape. And I know That's fair. Man, I, I know I said it earlier. I swear, like, I felt all right about that Bilal profile by the end of it. But I was like, man, I swear these are all the same team. It's so yeah. hard to find clips. Um, Bryce Sensabaugh won't be there at 24. I'm very convinced of that. But he's fun. Damn. Uh, Jet Howard might be a good one because he, in as much as anybody, is the all all offensive vibes, no defense kind of guy. Absolutely, and uh, hasn't been reported anywhere, but I will say I've heard uh, that he has possibly worked out for the Kings. Oh, ho, ho. have yeah. not been able to confirm. Um, but Jed Howard, Julian Phillips was confirmed. Uh, Jed Howard and. Oh, I know. I I one other. I don't think it was confirmed, but I can also say that I have heard that uh, Brandon Pojemski did work out for the Kings. Okay, um, CD did get confirmed by um, by Cam today. Um, yeah, I forget who my other one is in here. Hold on, I'm going to find this really quick. Um. Dylan Mitchell was, was the other one who yeah, did end up Dylan with, with drawing. Back. Yes, yeah. that's right. I forgot about that. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I got. Um, again, thank you, Brian, for taking the time. And definitely everybody check out your work. You're going to be in a lot of different places in this coming week, including Deuce and Moe's live stream on the day of the draft, which... You know, I always appreciate you for getting your live draft reactions because sometimes those can be pretty spicy, especially when they <laughs> take a guard for the third year in a row. Um, so that'll be great <laughs> content and, and appreciate you doing this, man. Of course, buddy. Always. And thank you to everybody that is listening to this episode of the King's Post Podcast. Definitely take a look at the King's Herald to look at Brian's profiles, my one and, and future ones that are supposed to be coming out along with Brian's future ones and all the other great guys and gals that contribute to that side and, and take a look at their Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Book Podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And you'll hear from us again next couple days.